0: Welcome to the You Love and You Learn podcast, the place to learn about all things love, relationships, relationship anxiety, and to deconstruct the one-size-fits-all narrative of what it means to be in a happy relationship. I'm your host, Sarah Yudkin, a relationship anxiety coach who's on a mission to discuss the nuances of love and relationships that I wish someone would have shared with me years ago. My goal with each episode is for you to leave with an expanded definition of love and relationships and with practices to carry with you in your life and relationships on a day-to-day basis. I'm so grateful to have you here. hello everybody welcome back to the you love and you learn podcast i'm really excited to be here with you today and before we get in too much further i just want to share a thank you for everyone who has sent a kind DM or an email or a message to me sharing that they are enjoying the podcast I've really been having so much fun with this and if you're one of those people and you haven't had a chance to leave a rating or a review for the podcast it would really mean the world to me to just take a couple minutes of your time on Spotify I believe you can only leave a rating but in Apple podcasts you can actually leave a review and those reviews and ratings really help get the word out about this podcast and recommend it to other people who may enjoy this topic or may need to learn more about love and of course you know that that's what I'm passionate about talking about and sharing more about so if you have a moment it really would mean the world to me and I know it is a favor to ask of you but if you've been enjoying the podcast I would really appreciate you taking that time thank you so much so today's topic maybe going a little bit against cultural narratives. But I wanted to share some different viewpoints that I don't think are represented often enough. And the reason I wanna talk about this topic is because one goal of this podcast is to really get you thinking and reflecting and leaving each episode with maybe a shifted definition or opening up and expanding your mind around what love and relationships can look like. And I think that so often we have this norm from movies or from social media, and it doesn't always match up exactly with our own experience. And so I want to just create conversations that can share alternate experiences or alternate perspectives. And someone who listened to the podcast DM'd me and shared the question, how do I deal with a fear of falling out of love? I've had many situations which I thought I was falling in love with someone and I've I've woken up literally the next day to realize I can't stand the sight of that person. When I launched the podcast, there was another person who suggested the topic of not being sure if you're in love with your partner and just loving them. Is that enough? And over the last few years of just hearing from people and working with clients, I've gotten many similar questions around this topic of being in love versus love. So some of these questions are, did I fall out of love with my partner? What if I feel love toward my partner, but I just don't feel in love with my partner? What if we fall out of love in the future, then what? Or if you fall out of love, can you fall back in love? And I think it's no wonder that honestly, we are worried about this. It's It doesn't surprise me at all that this is a common question and it's something that I have asked myself before as well. And I think that the reason we're asking ourselves these questions is because of societal narratives. Like if you fall out of love, then that means you shouldn't be together anymore or oof, don't fall out of love or I fell out of love and, and hearing these stories or, Things like life past the honeymoon stage is boring and we should be constantly working to bring back the same feelings we used to have. Or something like if you don't feel the butterflies, maybe you're not with the right partner. Raise your hand if you're listening to this and you have either heard any of these things or asked yourself any of these questions and please know that you're not alone. And I think it's such a common message that we get. And maybe you've never heard these things directly, but you've just put two and two together from watching movies and seeing people's relationships highlights on social media. So the idea I want to explore today is what if all along we've been so focused on staying, quote, quote, in love that we're missing something important and beautiful and fulfilling, which is the love. I'll say that again what if all along we've been so focused on staying in love that we're missing something beautiful fulfilling and important which is the love and There's a book that I read, I've mentioned this actually on a previous podcast episode, I think podcast episode eight, I mentioned something around this book, but I read a book that really impacted the way that I think about love and relationships. And it's called We, Understanding the Psychology of Romantic Love by Robert Johnson. And The quote in this book that kind of sparked the idea for this topic, and I've talked about it before, but I really wanted to elaborate on it a little bit more today, is a quote where he says, people never seem to settle into relationship with each other until they are out of the romantic love stage, until they love each other instead of being in love. And I don't know about you, but I actually find that idea kind of comforting. I know that it used to trigger me a lot and it used to make me think that love was less than in love. But now I find it comforting. And the reason is that while the romantic love stage or being in love may be new and exciting and fun, the relationship can really begin when you shift into a state of love. And that feels exciting to me because one of my goals is to have a long fulfilling relationship. So it may help to kind of define what I mean here at the start of this podcast with what I refer to when I'm saying in love, knowing that everybody may have their own unique definition. So when I'm talking about the phrase being in love, or when I think of these stereotypical feelings of being in love, I personally think of infatuation, butterflies, the constant excitement, always wanting to be around this person, passion, and things like that. Now you may have your own definition, uh, but I just wanted to share what I'm working off of for the sake of this podcast here. And I think what's funny is I was actually looking into some of the stuff, I, I like to nerd out on like definitions and what something means. and. The definition, funny, of infatuation is actually an intense but short-lived passion or admiration for someone or something. And I thought it was so interesting that short-lived was actually in the definition of infatuation, which is something that we're all chasing, I think, like that feeling of being infatuated by somebody, but it quite literally says in the definition that that is short-lived. So when we're in a new relationship, many people can, you don't have to, but many people can experience butterflies, excitement, infatuation. And sometimes we call this the honeymoon stage and not everybody has that same exact experience. I I will give that note, but for those who did, that is kind of, I think what we stereotypically classify as being in love. Now, part of this is because in the beginning stages of a relationship, there is still so much newness. We're still trying to seek after our partner. There's this element of uncertainty at play. Do they like me? Do they love me back? What could the future bring to us? Questions like that, because there's still this myth, mystical element, excuse me. And like the mystery of what could happen. So, this infatuation or thrill of the chase, as some people can say it, can be heightened if the person that you are connecting with is not fully available. Now I think this is really important to talk about. There's something called the pursuer-distancer dynamic. And this was coined by Dr. Les Greenberg, who developed emotion-focused therapy, EFT, which is another word for it. And this happens all the time in relationships and is not necessarily bad or wrong, it's just something that we can note and get curious about. So what is this pursuer, distancer dynamic? A pursuer, you can kind of allude to like what this would be just by listening to the words themselves, but a pursuer is someone who is desiring more emotional connection or intimacy, the person who is pursuing the other person more directly. And then the distancer is someone who, for whatever reason, may be pulling away more or less open to emotional connection and intimacy. Now, based on kind of my story, which some of you may have heard, and if you haven't, go back to episode two of the podcast where I talk about my relationship anxiety story. But in my relationship with Nate, I'm more often the distancer and he is more often the pursuer but there are absolutely moments where that flips especially like if he's super busy or if he's working on something and can't give his attention then sometimes i crave that more and that can leave me wanting to pursue him or more time to connect or if we're apart for a good amount of time and those feelings of missing him can come back more now i think that there's this Judgment of, oh, well, it's bad to be the distancer and it's good to be the pursuer. And I don't think that either of them are wrong or right. It's just helpful to be aware of these patterns. The reason I'm talking about this dynamic or this pattern is because it's common for a pursuer to have deeper feelings of this in loveness than someone who might be distancing for whatever reason. And I see this so often in my work with clients or in meeting potential future clients. Last week I had a consultation for a private coaching client and this person had noticed a pattern in her life. She always felt excitement and feelings of being in love when she was trying to go after someone who was not quite available. Someone who wasn't giving her a full commitment or attention. And someone who maybe was kind of like half responding and sometimes not. And this makes a lot of sense. We tend to want what we can't have or we tend to feel more excited by it many times. And I think for whatever reason, I don't know if you can relate to this story, but I think that we have a story sometimes that says that someone who's available and wants us back maybe doesn't have any better options and so this can make them less desirable whereas we think someone who's kind of playing the field or not really responding maybe they have all these options and we really want them to choose us and this was actually something a past coaching client shared as well like i i felt weird that my boyfriend was so available and so clear with his intentions. Which is so ironic because I think that's what we all secretly want and then when we get it, it feels weird somehow. So when we are getting the thrill of the chase for emotionally unavailable people, then it can make us feel bored or a lack of spark and not get the butterflies with that loving, supporting, emotionally available partner and that can cause a lot of anxiety especially if you're used to getting those in love feelings or a spark when you're chasing someone and so in theory you know that feeling exists and yet when we say we want this steady secure love when someone wants us and values us and when we actually get it then it can feel not so exciting or boring and this can be a painful realization realizing that we are chasing these feelings of in love so much that we may actually be resisting or blocking love i'll say that again i just think some of these things are so important to really sit with that when we realize that we are chasing feelings of in love so deeply that we may actually be resisting or blocking love that can be a really painful realization. And so that's what I'm hoping to kind of just acknowledge here in this podcast, get you thinking about it a little bit. Now, here's another person who I absolutely love her work and I've had so many insights and aha moments from reading her book, and that is Esther Perel in her book, Mating in Captivity. I highly recommend it. And she shares some powerful quotes that I want to read. Some of this is Esther sharing another person's quote, and some of this is her own words. So I'll read the the next few sentences from her book, Mating in Captivity. And the first quote she shares is from Oscar Wilde, which he says, In this world, there are only two tragedies. One is getting what one wants, and the other is not getting it. So Esther then goes on to acknowledge that when our desires are unfulfilled, when we are disappointed, but fulfilled desires carry their own brand of loss. So I messed that part up a little bit. (laughs) She basically says when we are disappointed, our disappointment can of course be hard to manage and that would mean when we are not getting something we want. So that can be disappointing. But there's another type of disappointment that doesn't get talked about often enough, which is fulfilled desires. And those can carry their own sense of loss because when we get what we want, it undermines that thrill of wanting it. So she shares, just think about the last time you had to have something until you owned it. Now that it's yours, you may enjoy it. You may love it. But do you still want it? Do you still remember how much you wanted it in the first place so i know that a person may be different from a possession like let's say you really want a new book and then you get the book and then of course once you have it you no longer want it as much anymore because maybe you've already read it once i think a person is slightly different and so i don't want To necessarily make it seem like a person is the same thing as wanting something like a car or a purse or something like that but I think the point that she's trying to make is really important is that getting what we want can undermine that thrill of wanting it and chasing it and desiring it the last quote that's kind of related to this topic is something that she shares from Gail Godwin who says the act of longing will always be far more intense than the requiting of it." So basically what that means is the act of longing for someone else, the act of longing for a person, will always be far more intense than responding to someone else's longing for us. And I think that's so important to grasp because when we're craving attention from someone or when we're chasing after someone or when we're wanting something that we don't know we fully have yet, I think that that makes such a big difference. Whereas when we're in this healthy, loving, stable situation where we know our partner's intentions, we know they want to be with us or they've at least clearly expressed that they want this to work, then that feels a little bit less desirable in some ways because it's not as much longing or passion. So all of this makes so much sense to me the last thing i kind of want to share about this in love or infatuation topic of kind of defining what it means to be in love or infatuated is some great analogies that i heard from jay shetty in some of his recent podcast interviews he just released a book around love and relationships and he talks about the difference between chemistry which i think is this buzzword now of what is chemistry, do I have enough chemistry with someone, as compared to what connection means in a relationship. So what's the difference between chemistry and connection? And he shares that the spark or chemistry are kind of like a match. So when you light a match, it can burn out quickly. But longer term connection in a relationship can be like a candle which can burn for a much longer period of time. And you can relight the candle and it can keep getting lit and, and maybe it won't be permanently lit, but there is a way to, to bring that connection and, and have it longer lasting. And so I think this is really interesting to keep in mind. Um, it goes back to that kind of short term piece of the definition of infatuation of how long something's meant to last. And the next thing he shares that I find pretty fascinating is that one of the reasons a new relationship feels exciting and feels more thrilling is because in addition to feeling excitement, we're also feeling nerves and nerves can have like this whole different sensation and energy within us. So I talked a little bit about this already, but those questions of like, do they like me or where, where is this going to go? Those questions are also coming up at the start of a relationship and once we become more comfortable as we know as i kind of just alluded to and we're clear on someone's intentions and we settle into a more consistent dynamic it's no wonder that some of these feelings are shifting because you're no longer nervous around this person you're no longer really trying to gain clarity and so inevitably some of these sensations of nervousness are no longer going to be there And it doesn't necessarily mean that settling into a more comfortable place in a relationship is a bad thing. It makes sense. It's just different. It's just different and we get to decide what that means for us and how we redefine that. So all of this to say and what I'm trying to explain about this in love versus love I really don't want this podcast episode to be a Debbie Downer. I don't want this to allude to the fact that feelings of being in love are wrong or something like that. That's not what I'm trying to say. I think that for so long we've been told that these are the best feelings ever to try and chase after it. And so I get it. I get why this is so desirable. And I'll be the first to say like, I love me a good rom-com as much as anybody else. (laughs) Like I watch them in a different way now. And I think that they're much less triggering to me, but I still love a good rom-com. I still love that good happy ending. I hear the cast of Love is Blind saying things like, oh yeah, we're madly in love. Like I watch Love is Blind, I still am, you know, someone who can have that guilty pleasure. And I see these reels and I see the TikToks with people making out in a hot tub with the caption, I'm so in love with you. Like I get it. And I see where all of this has come up. I just wonder if all of these messages have gotten so deeply lodged into our subconscious that they're causing us to close our hearts off to this other very beautiful thing, which is love. The love not necessarily with the word in before it in love but just love which is also so deeply beautiful so now i want to shift we talked a little bit about what i'm defining as it means to be in love now i want to shift into what love is if it's not being in love then what does love mean now i've been exploring this question for the last few years I've tried to open up my mind with new perspectives because I think love is such a vague concept. Like I don't think there's only one way to define love and clearly many different people have many different definitions of it. And it's a common word, but it's really hard to actually articulate. And. It's also really interesting that like I can love my parents and I can love Nate and I can love my best friends I can love a puppy (laughs) like I can love sunsets and flowers But they're all slightly kind of different in some ways And so maybe the love I'm feeling isn't the same moment-to-moment in different situations So how do we then define love within our relationships? How do we start thinking about this topic? I want to acknowledge that this is a very personal, I think, experience. We get to define it in a way that feels good and helpful to us. And that's what I'm hoping to help you do in this next part of the episode, is defining love in a way that feels helpful to you. Because when we have a definition of something that doesn't feel helpful, or it feels like it's causing us to feel less than, or like we're not doing enough, like we're doing it wrong, that doesn't feel very good and so i would love for you to kind of think about ways to define love that would feel helpful and meaningful to you i used to think that there was only one type of love and it was this joyful 24 7 head over heels daydream never sick of the person always needing to be by their side passion your partner completes you all of that but now my definition has definitely changed and there are a handful of people who i really love that speak about love and or they've given me really good perspectives that have landed with me. So I want to share some of them here with you today and give you a chance to reflect and see which ones resonate with you. So Morgan Harper Nichols, who is a poet and I just love her art. She's an artist, poet, many things. She has this saying that love is a practice. And my brother a few Christmases ago got me a flag of hers, and I have it on my bookshelf, and it says those four simple words, love is a practice. And to me, this feels so simple but so true. Instead of love being something we're either feeling or not feeling that we either have or we don't, it's a practice, something that we can continue growing at, something that we can always show up with and and try and practice, and it's not something that's set in stone moment to moment. So that feels really empowering to me. I hope it does for you as well. Another concept that I love, I keep saying the word love now, but <laughs> it fits with the, the, the theme of this episode, is the Gottman Institute shares love as being a daily action. So they have this quote that says love is a big vague concept so what does it look like how do you know that you and your partner love each other perhaps we should interpret love as a flowing process as a commitment to daily action rather than present or not present love is maintained incrementally instead of asking whether there is love or trying to quantify it it might be easier to ask yourself how can I show my partner that I love them today How is my partner showing their love for me today? Mm, I just love that. I think it speaks so well to how I want to operate in my relationship and in the world. And so that's just another example. There's another great quote. I sent this out in a recent email newsletter uh, and I got some great feedback on it. And this is a quote from the book, The Wisdom of Anxiety by Cheryl Paul, who I really love her work. And this quote is from someone named Anne Morrow Lindbergh. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And this is the concept is, love is something that ebbs and flows. So the quote is, when you love someone, you do not love them all the time in exactly the same way from moment to moment. It is an impossibility. It is even a lie to pretend to. And yet, this is exactly what most of us demand. We have so little faith in the ebb and flow of life, of love, of relationships. We leap at the flow of the tide and resist in terror its ebb. We are afraid it will never return. We insist on permanency, on duration, on continuity. When the only continuity possible in life as in love is in growth, in fluidity, in freedom, in the sense that the dancers are free, barely touching as they pass, but partners in the same pattern." (sighs) I just love this concept so much because I feel like one of the things I've learned a lot over, I don't know, the last year, two years, three years, is that things really do ebb and flow. They go up, they go down, they have moments of connection and disconnection, and I honestly think that if everything were the exact same moment-to-moment day after day even though that's what our anxious brain tells us we want that it would be pretty boring and so Just making space for love to not look the exact same moment-to-moment now I'm not talking about if you're in a situation where somebody is giving you mixed signals and they're being rude and disrespectful or there's abuse happening that's not what I'm talking about but I'm talking about in a loving supportive relationship where there's some moments where things don't feel as exciting or juicy and some moments where things might even feel boring or challenging but then also holding space for those flow moments to come back of more love and more openness so there is one other definition that I really really love and it's something that I actually um, where is it I have it in my notes here and um, This is a little bit of a spoiler into a future podcast episode that I'm excited to share. But this definition comes from Alex Bishop of For Love We Heal, and it's going to be in an upcoming podcast episode. I can't wait for you to hear him share more about this. But he says that love is not out there. It's within us. He said that he now knows without a doubt that love is a state of being and that it's a place within us a place that when our parts aren't so protective and so fearful of us getting hurt when our parts step back that we can be in our own loving so we can be in love but in love doesn't mean that i'm in love with you in love means i am in my own love and when i'm in my love then we can share that, and I can accept you. Oh, I think that is just so, so, so powerful and so incredible, and I think all of these definitions really help expand my perspective. And the reason that I think that all of these concepts are important is because I used to view love just as a feeling. And I would ask myself questions like, well, shouldn't I feel more in love right now? Shouldn't I feel butterflies all the time? Shouldn't I love Nate in every moment? Or if I don't feel as much love than I did at the beginning, then I fell out of love. But if you think about it, feelings are never permanent. Feelings never really have been permanent. Like if someone cuts you off in traffic and you feel angry, you're probably not still thinking about it right now. You know what I mean? Unless it just happened. And there's also probably a lot of moments where you felt really happy, like you looked at a sunset or you achieved a goal that you wanted to, or you got a new puppy or you saw a puppy. (laughs) I love puppies. I'm weaving that in a couple of times to this episode, but you're probably not still thinking or feeling that memory of happiness as you are listening to this podcast right now. And these feelings come and go, so why would we expect a feeling, quote, quote, feeling, of love to be present 24 7. and i think that other than the fact that we see it being there as this constant presence in rom-coms or social media or books or whatever it is that it's really just this expectation that sets us up for failure to think that a feeling is permanent other feelings like sadness or anger whatever they are fear can be just as impermanent as feelings of love as well. So feelings can come and go, of course, but no matter how we're feeling we can still choose to act based on our values and based on how we want to be showing up as a person. And we can still act in loving ways and practice showing up time and time again from a place of love, even when fear is also present. And I think that for me, what I've realized is when we practice giving and receiving love more and receiving being a key part of that, because it actually can be really hard to receive love, then we can begin to trust more and more that our love for someone is there under the surface as a baseline, instead of needing it to be a feeling that we experience in order to show up and give love. So for me, I I don't know if you can relate to this, but when I view love as an action or a practice or something that ebbs and flows and isn't always there, it feels much more attainable to me and not this elusive or undefinable feeling that I should be chasing more of. So maybe you might have to go back and listen to that section again of these definitions of love but I ask you to just sit with the definitions of love and see what resonates with you. I've now defined what I am considering to be in love and compared that to some alternate definitions of love and I'm hoping that you can kind of see the contrast with that and hold space for this new information and maybe make room for yourself to define love in a new way. So now that I've kind of teed this off by going into those differences of in love and love and what that could mean, I want to revisit the quote from the beginning of the podcast that really resonated with me and that kind of kicked off this whole discussion, which was that people never seem to settle into relationship with each other until they are out of romantic love stage until they love each other instead of being in love. And I wanna now talk about why that may be. Why might someone not be settling into a relationship until they emerge from this romantic or in love stage into more of a loving stage? Why might that be? Well, one of the points that Robert Johnson makes in this book when he's talking about this concept is that when we are in love, so, that in love feeling, the infatuation feelings, we're actually projecting an image of a perfect partner onto a very imperfect human partner. So we're taking this kind of like fantasy mode of this princess or this knight in shining armor and projecting that onto a human who is not perfect. And I don't know if anyone else can relate to this. I have heard some clients joke about this that like, They had already married someone on a first date like in their mind or they've just envisioned like what life could look like with someone it's like we get swept away with all of these perfect things of what a person has to be and sometimes we're missing that we're just kind of creating this image of fabrication in our head of this perfect person without flaws and so when we are in this projection mode at the beginning stages at the infatuation stage We see this image of somebody who completes us, someone who makes us whole. And I think, again, this goes back to societal messaging and conditioning that when we're in love, the other person completes us or they're our other half. They make us whole. They bring joy and happiness to our life. They're the missing puzzle piece. They're the peanut butter to our jelly. Whatever it is, you get it. And so it's no wonder, it's no surprise that we're having these high expectations of another partner. And if they are completing us or bringing us our happiness, if that's what we're expecting, then of course they must be perfect, right? So it makes sense that that is kind of the natural pattern that we have based on what we've been hearing that love should be or being in love should be. But this idea of a perfect partner who comes along to complete us, it really takes away our own inner power and responsibility. It really takes away our own fulfillment and our own desires to make ourselves fulfilled and joyful and happy because we are putting that onto somebody else. We're putting it externally onto this partner or putting it onto the relationship to rescue us and save us. And this can become unintentionally, of course, but it can become pretty dangerous, a slippy, slippery slope, a slippy slope, <laughs> a slippery slope to get into and to expect, because then we get into the territory of demands or expectations of our partner to make us happy. So that could sound like they are making me feel this way or they are not making me feel this way. They are not enough of this. They're not doing enough of this for me or they are too much of this. And we start to have all of our feelings or reactions to what our partner's doing and kind of removing any layer of responsibility for our own feelings. And when we expect our partner to do more or be more or do less and be less to fit the definition of how they should be it's just it's getting into slippery slope territory if we're basically saying then I can only be happy when my partner does this and so if they don't bring us joy or fulfillment or happiness or wholeness to our life then we can start getting into that blame territory of, well, okay, it must be because I'm with the wrong partner. It must be because of them. And I want to say that maybe that's not so true. Maybe there are actually things that we can be doing to take more ownership and responsibility. So here are kind of some new beliefs that I have that are a little bit more empowering for me. Instead of thinking that Nate needs to make me happy, or instead of thinking that it's fully up to him to rescue me or save me, here is some new things that I have shifted to. The first one is that our lives will feel the levels of joy, fulfillment, happiness, and wholeness that we create for ourselves. The second is that when we outsource joy, fulfillment, happiness, and wholeness to somebody else, it becomes a recipe for resentment. We end up resenting that they can't always meet those needs and it's because they shouldn't have to. We can add joy, fulfillment, happiness, and wholeness to someone's life without it being our job. So of course someone can add joy, fulfillment, happiness to our life. Of course they can but as long as we're under the expectation that it's an inside job first. And lastly, a new belief that I have is that when people in a relationship each focus on taking more responsibility for their own joy, fulfillment, and wholeness, that's where the magic can happen. And then both of them are bringing those joyful and fulfilled selves into the dynamic instead of relying on someone else to do this. Now I'm still practicing this in my own life. I want to make that very clear. This isn't something that I can perfectly implement and show up with. It's something I'm still working on because those knight in shining armor beliefs are still so deeply ingrained within me. But I think it's such an important shift to begin making. And when I practice these new beliefs, I'm much more able to accept the love that me and Nate share instead of wishing I felt more in love. So that's why these new beliefs have really been helpful for me. I also want to explore in this podcast, and I know this podcast is a little bit of a longer one, but I think all of these points are so needed for the overall message. I want to explore this question of, what are we chasing when we chase feelings of being in love because usually there's something that we're craving when we want something like when we ask the question oh, did i fall out of love it's because we think that the feelings of being in love are better and that they are going to bring us something And one area where I thought that this book We, Understanding the Psychology of Love, was super fascinating was when Robert Johnson began to explore this notion that romantic love is connected with our quest for meaning and purpose. And this all, when I heard it, it made so much sense of why we value romantic love so much because we're chasing meaning and purpose from it. So, A quote he shares in the book is that romantic love has always been inextricably tied to spiritual aspiration. One more time, romantic love has always been inextricably tied to spiritual aspiration. Now this was a very interesting aha moment and I am a little bit, well I don't know if this is unique actually, um, but I feel unique in the sense that I didn't grow up with religion in my life. I feel like a lot of people that I work with or that I know did grow up with religion in their life, but of course there's many who didn't. And I've only newly opened up more to some of the ideas of spirituality. So I think that I'm coming from a unique perspective in the sense that I didn't have much experience growing up with religion or spirituality. And so I think that this is a big factor for me and why I was putting so much meaning and purpose on my relationship. I have a great group of friends and family and I love them all dearly, but I feel like I've had different groups of friends growing up and like different ones from elementary school to middle school to high school. Some of them have been very consistent throughout and I've had some friends for over 20, 25 years, which is incredible. But I also never really quite belonged to like one set sport team, for example. Like what I'm talking about here, Nate played soccer for over 20 years of his life. And so he has this like insanely tight-knit soccer community. So that's kind of what I'm talking about here. There's some people who grew up with religion and they had a very organized group, let's say at their church that they ended up being in community with. So while I had amazing people in my life, I wouldn't necessarily have said that I was part of a set community. And maybe, I don't know if that belief is true or not, but I think that my tribe has always been like my best friends and family and now Nate. But I can still see that in the absence of religion, I was putting so much pressure on Nate to be my everything. And I can see why relationship anxiety latched on him because I was craving more meaning and purpose in my life And I would always been told <laughs> that when you meet your person that you'll live happily ever after and like ride off into the sunset and that is Bringing you a lot of meaning and purpose in theory So I didn't necessarily leave as much space for meaning and purpose to come from other people in my life, including myself and you know all these stories of finding the one, all of that, it's its romantic, it's great, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't get meaning and purpose from our relationship or partner. I'm not saying that at all. I think it's wonderful, I think it's beautiful, and I think that love can be such a big factor in our life, not only in romantic relationships, but in any relationship. It's just that when we're unintentionally making these intimate or romantic relationships the main source of our meaning and purpose, and not just one of the sources of meaning and purpose in our life, I just think that is dangerous territory. And like I just kind of explained, it takes away this responsibility for us to cultivate meaning and purpose for ourselves. And I think that is when we wanna take this step back and really check in with ourselves. What are we asking of our partner and relationship to bring us and to deliver? And it's, it's just worth asking the question. It will involve some self exploration. It will involve checking in with yourself of like, how do you create meaning and value in your own life? And I explored this in episode eight of the podcast, which is that relationships force us to answer these big life questions, like who am I or what do I want out of life? And I think that without exploring some of these questions on our own, we may lean on our relationship to bring us this sense of meaning and purpose. So the points that I kind of want to make in this section of meaning and purpose is that without a strong sense of how we derive meaning and purpose in our life, we may put this pressure on our partner unintentionally to give us this meaning and purpose. We might put them on a pedestal. Our relationship and our partner are the only thing that can really bring us this joy and meaning, and then we miss out on all these other opportunities to give ourselves joy and meaning. The second point I want to make is that if you're feeling like your life isn't as meaningful or as purposeful as you want it to be, then you may be putting that extra pressure. So those first two points are kind of similar, but the first one is that if you don't have your own sense of meaning and purpose, you're probably going to put your partner and relationship on a pedestal. And then secondly, if you don't feel like your life is as meaningful or purposeful as you want it to be, then you're also going to place that pressure on your, your partner or relationship. And so step one is kind of cultivating this relationship with yourself of what you want and and how you want to show up in the world. And then the second step of that is to start actually implementing that in your life and creating this meaningful and purposeful life that doesn't just come derived from a relationship. Now, I don't want to make it sound like, again, deriving meaning or relationship from your partner is wrong. Deriving meaning or purpose, excuse me, from your partner is not wrong. But just checking in with yourself of how that's making you feel and if it's causing you to feel anxious or like there isn't possibly enough meaning or purpose that you can get from it then that's maybe where you can explore some of what I'm talking about here the last point is that if your partner cannot make up for the meaning and purpose you're hoping for then it can lead to resentment or doubt in the relationship and so that's what I'm talking about with that most recent thing I just said which is that if you feel like it's causing you to resent your partner or to have doubts in your relationship because it's not creating enough meaning or purpose for you, then that's where maybe you want to explore. All of this I think is just so understandable, but we get to decide if we want to shift a pattern if we're showing up in a certain way and it's not how we want it to be if it's not feeling enjoyable to us. And when we realize that love and commitment can bring us a deep sense of meaning and purpose, not just being in love, I think that our perception and our perspective can change. And so instead of just creating a goal of I need to feel in love to have meaning and purpose in my life, we can shift to finding more meaning and purpose in the loving actions and practices and experience that happen each and every day. I honestly think that in order to have a thriving relationship, it takes two individuals with that connection to self and bringing it into the relationship. And I just can't say that enough. And so I'm hoping in this episode, you're really starting to think about how you can strengthen that connection to yourself and everything else in your life. So the main questions that are really coming up to me and the reason I wanted to explore this episode is the question of what if all along we really just have been focused so much on being in love instead of just loving? What if we've been focused on the wrong thing? And that word can even be a little bit, (laughs) that word can have a lot of uh, weight under it, wrong. But in some senses, if we've been focusing so much on being in love that we are not focused on loving or love, Towards ourself and others, then we might actually be blocking the loving and the love that can happen in our life. And I just think that as a culture, we've taken romance and being in love to the extreme. We've put such high expectations on it. And I honestly think that it's a big reason why many people are not finding relationships as enjoyable or they're thinking that relationships are not what they thought it would be. And we, I think, forget like that relationships have really evolved, excuse me, evolved so much over time. They used to literally be business transactions between families of I'll marry your daughter in exchange for more money or something or more farmland, like that used to be something that would happen. And then there was this big shift to romantic love of being with someone because you loved them and that was it, no other reason needed. And romantic love was once this empowering thing of you get to be with someone to love them. It doesn't have to be because of something that is getting exchanged like a dowry or financial investment. It gets to just be because you choose to be with this person. But along the lines, I think that somewhere romantic love has become this quest for perfection. And that's really what I found in my own experience. And I think that one extreme was very transactional, like, I'll give you this, you give me that, but the other extreme has now become a quest for one person, our partner, and one entity, our relationship, to fulfill every need and want and desire, and to make us feel good all the time. But when we expect this, then our relationship can really just lead to disappointment and we realize that the person we're with is human and not perfect, that our feelings may change and evolve over time and don't always stay obsessive or lustful. And we realize that what once felt effortless may now involve some effort when we switch out of this in love stage to love. And it's understandable why then we're having doubt, fear, or worry come up, and maybe asking ourselves questions like, is this how sh- things should be? Or what happened to the happily ever after that I was chasing? And the thing that can bring us this joy, fulfillment, and happiness, and love into our life, then becomes riddled with comparison, perfection, and expectations. We can be in a relationship that has so much love, fulfillment, and happiness, but then we're constantly thinking it's not good enough or something else will be better. And I personally just think that, based on my own experience, we really do want all of the highs of a relationship or a love without all the lows or the neutral moments or the mundane moments. And I just think that we can't necessarily do that. Life isn't like that. We can't just have everything be high vibe and perfect all the time and it just, I just think that it's worth acknowledging what we're really expecting out of something. And now I think that in my relationship and in my love for Nate there are words that come up such as feeling content or simplicity that can actually make me feel really good about where we're at and comfort words that I didn't think that I would want or need in my loving relationship are now feeling really nourishing. Content means peaceful happiness. And we have this negative view of what content means, but I think it's so beautiful. And we have this negative experience of what it means to settle. And what if instead we're actually just settling into a new dynamic with our partner that we get to show up with and and co-create and cultivate together? I just think that If the cultural narrative would shift a little bit to show not just the honeymoon stage, but the day-to-day life and not just the engagement and all of the excitement around that but the wedding planning as well and not just the wedding but the actual marriage like i think if we were seeing more of these things of like the behind the scenes the day-to-day life the wedding planning the marriage all of that we would realize that we're in such good company where relationships just have a lot of intricacies and they're not perfect all the time i honestly think that the majority of a relationship is this part of love, but we get stuck at the in love part. And we think that being in love is this end all be all that we have to achieve, where we have to derive all our meaning and purpose. But ultimately, once the feeling of being in love fades, I think that's when we have this beautiful chance to practice true relational commitment true relational commitment and I think that can bring us so much more meaning and fulfillment than we realize and if we're so busy wishing that the in love feelings would come back then we really do miss out on the love so I'll leave you with this what if simply loving someone instead of being in love was actually the whole point what if that got to be enough How would you show up in your relationship differently? (sighs) Mm, Such a nice thought for me, at least. (laughs) I hope this resonated with you. Thank you for going on this deep dive with me. And I would love to hear what you think of this episode. Send me a DM on Instagram at youloveandyoulearn and let me know if you've listened and what your thoughts were about this episode. Thank you so much. And I will see you in the next one. Thank you so much for listening to the You Love and You Learn podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are, the more people that can hear this message and it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media and the more ratings and reviews that are there the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.